Hello, ladies and gentlemen of the internet, the followers of the Spartan Life Coach YouTube channel, seekers after truth, brave young Jedi. Okay, so let's go through uh, some of the questions that I've been given. Here we go. First question. My question is, how do I deal with if I happen to, and probably will, bump into my covert narcissistic mother? I've cut her off. She has bad-mouthed me to my sister that I know of and got my sister on her side. My mother sent me a very nasty letter accusing me of being mentally sick and that I needed to see my doctor, plus much more. I'm totally over all my family. I'm feeling very anxious about bumping into her. Uh, and you go right into saying, I do love my mother. I know if I just deal with her by saying I'm not getting into any discussion about a relationship, she will still think and deal with me as I am mentally not well. With my mother, she is always the victim and poor her. I just need some strategies to empower myself so that I don't feel so anxious about this. Um, this is like the kinds of question that I used to get when I was teaching self-defense and self-protection over on streetfightsecrets.com. So people would come to me and they would say, well, what do I do when the um, attacker comes and he's a, a five foot four left-handed Filipino who loves Malay rap music and he's holding a curved blade upside down in his right hand. And I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I can't, I can't just give you, your brain is going, okay, here's a specific situation. So here's what's the specific technique that's going to solve that situation. You know, the answer that I would give to the people who were following me on uh, Street Fight Secrets would be, well, you, you have to develop your attributes. You have to become um, better at what it is that we're doing. You have to become stronger. You have to become faster. You have to become more able to, um, more capable. You need to become a more capable human being in order to deal with these things. So you kind of want like a little trick that I could give you in a sentence. And you go, oh, I'll do that. Um, but I immediately would say, well, why do you feel so anxious about meeting your mother? And maybe we should be, be metaphorically, you should be looking at that maybe with somebody, maybe with a therapist and actually saying, well, what is it that makes you feel so anxious? If you know that you're uh, morally, you've done nothing wrong. Where's the anxiety coming from? At some point in that paragraph, you also said, you threw in um, apropos, apropos nothing. Uh, here's, here's what you did. You went, I'm feeling very anxious about bumping into her. I do love my mother. I know if I just dealt with her by saying I'm not, and then you go on. Why did you throw in I do love my mother? What did you think that me reading this would think that you don't love your mother? Um, it sounds like you feel a degree of guilt and maybe there is some trauma bonding here that's caused you to get into a place where you feel that just the simple process of saying no to your mum, metaphorically, like if she hasn't asked you a question, you're just like going, no, that would be a bit weird. But metaphorically, you're saying no to her, no to her shit. You're setting down a boundary. And whenever you set down a boundary, it effectively is always a, a no. A boundary is always a no. So. I can't just take one piece of this puzzle and say, this is what you do when you meet your mum that's going to solve everything. I, I'm afraid I can't do that. Um, I can only advise that you look into why you feel the way you do around your mother. And maybe for most of us, it's guilt. You know, you just feel incredibly guilty about it. And that's the anxiety. There's something else you said there that stood out to me. Oh, 
gosh. Whenever I try and look at the forum, it goes onto your profile. Uh, okay. I know if I just deal with her by saying I'm not getting into any discussion about our relationship, she will still think and deal with me as I am mentally not well. I think you mean as though I am mentally not well. Yeah, yeah, she will. And uh, guess what? You can't stop that. So you're trying to control how she perceives you or at least how she seems to perceive you. So one form of covert, it's a, it's a common strategy of the covert narcissist and it's a covertly abusive strategy which they love of course invisible gaslighting or well, gaslighting is invisible uh, invisible abuse ambient abuse is to treat you as though you're crazy that in and of itself is a form of abuse to treat somebody like they're mentally unstable and you have to speak to them in a certain way because goodness knows what they might do or what they might think. And that in itself is a form of abuse. You could treat somebody like they're a violent thug. You could treat somebody like you think they're gonna rob you. That's a form of abuse. Um, and it will provoke, it can actually provoke, uh, frustratingly enough, exactly the reaction that the person was trying to get in the first place because you feel so frustrated and so double bound in what you've been pushed into that you wanna fight back against that but a you can't control another per person's beliefs about you beyond a certain point you know you could show that person that you're a different person you could show them over a long enough period of time that their beliefs about you are now out of date i've done that with people but it takes a long time because people are fucking dicks and they just they form a belief about you it feels comfy they like the way it feels and they just stick with that one because who gives a fuck, you know? And so they just stick there. Um, so in my case, I, I, I literally had to do Herculean feats of amazing charity work and all kinds of stuff for years, for years and years to alter the beliefs of other people. Um, I wasn't doing it to alter their beliefs, I should say. Like I've just changed my life. I lived in a certain way up until the age of about 27. And then I had a huge trauma where I hurt somebody, somebody very badly. And uh, as a result of that, I could have gotten myself into serious, serious fucking trouble. And I just changed my life after that because I was frightened. Um, I became so terrified in the core of my being that I realized I wasn't the bad man that I thought I was. And that I was just playing. I was playing a game. I was playing a role. Um, and as the old lyrics say, there's no such thing as halfway crooks. Um, and I was I was halfway, so I, I kicked myself very, very firmly and very brutally out of that. So the second thing I wanted to address here is that you're talking about her as though her opinion of you is sincere. So you're going, oh, she seems to be thinking I'm mentally ill, treats me as though I am, so therefore she believes I'm mentally ill, so therefore I need to change that or control it. She might not believe you're mentally ill. This might just be a fun way of doing your head in. Why would anybody just do your head in for the sake of it? Because that's the stance. I'm going to stick with my martial arts analogies for this podcast. God damn it. This video blog. That's her stance. Her stance is if she doesn't know what to do, this is cluster B. The cluster B, the way I, the way I think about them, if you use a martial arts analogy, is, is here. You know when you see boxers and they box and they're in a guard all the time and they're taught jab, jab, jab. If you don't know what to do, if you're stuck, if you're confused, if you get hit, 
when after you've covered, just jab, just jab, jab, move and jab, jab and move, jab and move. And you would think, well, why would you do that? That's really stupid. Well, of course, if you're tired in a fight, uh, you know, you've already gone six rounds, you've already taken a few hits to the head and you're not sure what to do. Just jabbing, just putting your hand out there is a very energy efficient way of taking the fight to them because you're sticking a big fucking glove in their face, which is confusing. And it's quick and it's easy to do. So the stance is jab, jab, jab. And when you drill that for years, that just becomes an automatic response. So you'll, there's a couple of videos out there on YouTube um, of old boxers who get challenged in the street and then they'll knock some young punk out. And because they did it for so many years, even at 65 years old, they can still adopt a stance and jab, cross, uppercut, hook, boom, and the guy goes down. And it's impressive, it's impressive to see. So you're, in the, in the case of the person you're talking about, if her stance, if her trained response is jab, jab, jab to keep you on the back foot, so not just you, don't take it, like obviously it's happening to you, so I can't tell you don't take it personally, but remember they do this to everybody. It's just a robot. It's, it's just a robot. It's just running through its program blindly, even to the point where it kills itself or runs into a wall. Remember, cluster B, it's, a, it's fundamentally, it's a self-destructive um, personality disorder. I nearly went into how it's a self-destructive series of defense mechanisms, but let's not touch that right now. And what she's doing is she's jabbing to keep you on the back foot. And she, like, she might not even consciously know that she's doing it. She's trying to upset you, but that's her job because she's, you said she's a covert narcissist. So if she's a covert narcissist, then she's probably overlapping with a malignant borderline personality disorder. And therefore her obsession will be keeping the people around her emotionally dysregulated and on the back foot. And she's found something that works, which is to treat you like you're crazy. That wouldn't work for me. Other things are required uh, for me, but when people, you know, if they try and button push me by acting like I'm crazy, that's not gonna do it. But if you did something else, which I'm not going to reveal on this channel because there's a fucking heavy group of shark-like, narcissistic, psychopathic borderlines circling around me and all of us sat here, even as we speak, who can't wait for a little opening to try and drag me down. And it's only going to get worse. We are here to fight the demons of the apocalypse. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that was a meandering answer to your question. There isn't much I can tell you that's going to take that anxiety away via a, a quick and simple YouTube response. You've got to look at, you've got to go deep, bro. You've got to go deep, bro. You've got to actually look at why do you feel that way about your mother? What's the hold that she has over you? And is there some grieving that you need to do for the fact that, you know, she never really was a mum. She never really was there for you as a mummy. So the little girl inside of you, uh, your name, your handle is Kim. It could be either way. The little girl inside of you is is sad and confused and angry um, because she didn't have the opportunity to be taken care of by a mother. So your mother was there biologically. You know, the uterus uh, worked. Thanks very much for the use of your fallopian tubes, mum. But that biological ability to produce a human doesn't make a mother so being a mother is a noun and then it's a verb to mother somebody so i'm probably being more of a mother to you now in a short condensed you know wacky format with the technology and the internet and everything than she has been for a long time this is a mothering nurturing thing i'm doing which is to be to be loving to be encouraging to be compassionate 
or just to hear that you're in pain and say, yeah, I know how that feels, bro. I know it sucks, but you've got to feel those feelings. You've got to grieve. And then through that grieving, you'll be empowered. You said you want to be empowered. So you think I'm going to give you an NLP technique, like tap yourself on the ear three times and say the word, and then you'll feel confident. That might work now. That might be a funny anchor. You go, and then, but it's not that. It's, it's this grieving that needs to be done. All of the power will come from facing reality and not running from pain because right now you're running from pain. So when you're running from pain, you become a runner. Whatever you do, I'm going to stick with my martial arts analogies all night. Whatever you do a lot of is what you get good at. So if you box, you're fast with your hands, you can hit targets, you can cover up, you can duck, dodge, you know, all that duck, dodge, dive, and whatever it was in dodgeball. So if you're a runner, then you run. If you're a dissociator, then you dissociate. If you're a, a avoider, then you avoid. Whatever you do a lot of, you get good at. I'm a rageaholic. So when I'm in, when I'm provoked effectively, my response is, uh, is, is anger, just, just a pure, primal, blind, self-destructive uh, rage. That's my, that's my trauma response if I'm, if I'm provoked. Um, which thankfully, these days, is not a very easy thing to do. Um, but, you know, still human, still possible. So, yeah, dude, do the grieving, do the inner child work. And uh, don't be afraid to cry uh, for the fact that your mother was never there for you as a mother. And then once you've done that, you can come back into your adult space. Once the little girl inside of you has cried and grieved, you can come back into the adult space and you can look at her as an adult and go, oh, you're a person. You're just a person now. You, you were a failed mother. You were the archetype for disappointment, abandonment, emptiness and pain and duplicity in the world. And now you're just a person. You're just a network with socks shoving food in the lowest hole in your head every day. With apologies to Louis C.K. for butchering. <laughs> when, I, when, I do, when I do the narcissism and sexuality talk, I'll talk about the lowest hole in the head. Um, so, yeah. Okay. I hope that helps. I'm going to move on to the next question. Why? Why is this? Why is it torturing me? I, I do do this. Okay. Cash. Cash says, despite everything, I ended up well. I didn't get use medication. I got a degree. I got a job, my own apartment, a few good friends, broke up with my family. And a year ago, I started my healing process for the very first time. I wouldn't want it otherwise, despite this painful process, because for the first time since forever, all of this makes sense, and I don't blame myself anymore. Very cool. I, I'm just wondering if you're familiar with healing your inner child, as this is a big key to dealing with my childhood traumas and CPTSD. I'm trying to take care of her as an adult, but damn, how hard is that? Exclamation mark, question mark. How do I start? All the guilt, the shame, the self-hate, the ignorance, my perfectionism. How do you leave it behind as an adult? Um, it's hard. It's it's like trying to remove fish hooks and, and, and barbs from delicate flesh uh, that's buried deep. Um, I got, uh, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it now because it's relevant and we'll stick with the martial arts thing. I got glassed with the side of the, the eye when I was younger. Um, I was in a gay club and 
there's a gay club I like to go to on Sunday nights with my mates, do a bit of flamboyant dancing, cheap drinks, good music, everybody's there for a dance. What's not to like? Um, and <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tell you why I was laughing in a minute. I, uh, I was dancing with some friends and a guy who had come into the club specifically to hurt a homosexual um, because that was his idea of fun that night out, came over to me and started on me, headbutted me, hit me with a glass. So I ended up with this scar on the side of my eye because the it was a not a pint glass, but a half pint glass, and he didn't break it and stick it in, because if he had, I wouldn't be as pretty as I am today. He he broke the, the, shot, the uh, half pint glass against my face, and he told the jury afterwards that he was trying to slap me. He just forgot he had a glass in his hand, and they believed him. I uh, still did time though. So he broke it against the side of my face. So when a glass breaks against the side of your face, it explodes. And then all the tiny little shards of glass went into the into the like the bag under my eye, into the side of my nose, into my mouth, and and, and across and down and so on and so forth. And into my uh, into my lips. And that night they pulled most of the shards of, of glass out, but they didn't pull it all out. And uh, not that long afterwards, I ended up speaking to an eye specialist. Uh, that I was I was working for MBNA Bank, one of my first office jobs. I haven't worked in an office for a long time since I was 23, 15 years ago. But one of the last times I worked in an office was for MBNA. I worked for Americans. Um, I was very impressed by their um, smooth customer service and their absolute commitment to evil <laughs> in the form of profit. Uh, and uh, I was sorting somebody's credit card out for them and started chatting to them and it turns out they were an eye specialist. And uh, I said, what do you specialize in? And they said, eye trauma. I said, all right, what, what kind of thing? And they said, well, I just came back from a seminar in Switzerland where I was talking about what happens when skiers get in accidents and their goggles shatter. And even though they're like supposed to be shatterproof and whatever, sometimes the shards go inside the eyes. And I was like, oh, I had this experience recently and the doctor at the hospital told me that all the glass would grow out and she said, that's not true. She said, that's not true. We have loads of cases where foreign objects into the body can grow in. Your body sometimes can take, like we've all probably been raised to think that the body will sensibly go, oh, this is a piece of rusty nail. We don't need this, send it away. But actually it can go in. I heard a story um, of somebody getting glass in, uh, in, their, in their head or in their face that actually grew through the head and eventually it popped out the roof of their mouth one day. I had to be pulled out through the uh, the roof of the mouth. Um, but anyway, she was telling me that yeah, through the, uh, the the bone here, glass can be sunken in. I'm telling you this because it's a useful metaphor for what can, can happen with trauma. Your body doesn't reject all trauma. Your and so so your mind doesn't either. So the the heart, if you like, doesn't doesn't reject all trauma. Sometimes it accepts trauma and makes it part of itself. So years ago. I went to Cambodia and I went to the, the temples there, which was really cool. And I shot a video at the temples. Um, I can't remember their names now. That's embarrassing. God, that's a while ago now. That's when I was living in Malaysia. This is the early days of the Spartan Life Coach. And I was really impressed by how the trees had grown through the temples and the temples were resting on the trees. And then some of the old trees were resting on the old temple blocks. And they just become one system. And the temple block doesn't know that the tree is there and the tree doesn't know that the temple block is there but they kind of what was originally a traumatic um, encroachment boundary break 
well, originally the boundary break would have been cutting down the trees and the humans putting the temple blocks there, and then nature fighting back and going, ha ha, fuck you, temple blocks, and smashing, growing through them over years. Okay, originally it's a trauma, it's a kind of violence, if you like, but then they live together and they start to need each other. And that's what can happen. So when I'm saying it's like removing barbed pieces of barbed hookery, fish hookery from delicate flesh, um, it can be like that. It can be very, very, very difficult and very precarious work. Um, we are, unfortunately, in something of a double bind. Let's go back to your question. Um, uh, how do you how do you heal the inner child? How do you let go of the guilt, the shame, the self hate, the ignorance, and the perfectionism? Okay, so here's what can happen. When you have uh, CPTSD and there's an awful lot of guilt and shame inside of you, just because that's what you were indoctrinated into by a lazy, abusive parent who found it convenient or useful or pleasurable to guilt and shame you into doing what they wanted you to do, that becomes your like a, like a piece of malware in the system, in the software, that you just feel guilt and shame for no reason. You could just go to the supermarket and buy a pint of milk and just be overwhelmed with shame um, for, for buying that milk. You know, that's, that's, that's training, that's hypnosis. How do you remove it? So you try and remove it. So you go, okay, I get triggered by stuff and I go into a flashback of guilt and shame when there's not really much here to trigger me. And that's the essence of CPTSD is it's complex. There's not necessarily an obvious trigger in the environment. It could be completely contextual um, it could be implied or it could just be a reminder of a reminder of a reminder because of how complex the neural networks in the brain are. Um, and you might live the rest of your life never knowing why that one day in the supermarket you broke down crying. It's just, you, you'll never know because you, you just can't reaccess the, the trigger. Um, so it's, it's, it's really, really difficult. So that's one element of the difficulty. The other element of the difficulty is when you're with a coach or a therapist and they are trying to remove the barbs, you'll attack them. Uh, and that might, you might not mean to. You know, like if you ever had a dog with a thorn in its foot and you try and take the thorn out, it kind of snaps at you. It doesn't really want to snap at you, but it's going to snap defensively against where there is pain. So as you're removing the barbs, you, you might snap at the coach or the counselor or the therapist. Or if you've ever worked as a coach or counselor or the therapist, you'll have had this experience. You'll be like, God, what a dick. I'm just trying to help you. Why are you being so mean? It's a defense response to pain. So that's one level of it. It gets sicker than that, though, because even when you try and heal yourself, you can trigger yourself. So by trying to trigger your, by, sorry, by trying to heal yourself, you can actually trigger the inner critic to be like, who the fuck are you to try and heal yourself? Who, who do you think you are? What makes you think you're so, you know, that the, the, the common inner critic voice that comes up that is just very, very degrading and, and corruptive corrupting and corrosive and, and nasty like that um, which is why I encourage people when they start this work to study complex PTSD as an academic subject to increase their understanding of, of it as an academic subject like okay I'm going to study this thing so you understand the mechanics of it and when you start I'm always going to say control the emotional flashbacks first reduce the emotional flashbacks first if you can wipe out the emotional flashbacks, you've cured CPSD. But you can't even work towards curing the CPTSD unless the emotional flashbacks are reduced. 
because if you're trying to heal, the process of healing causes emotional flashbacks. It will activate the inner critic. So I'm really strict with people. I say you must the sine qua non. How pretentious! Meaning, meaning the the sine qua non kind of means like the the one key element that you cannot do without. There's loads of stuff that you can do without, but the sine qua non means you cannot do without this one thing. The sine qua non of overcoming uh, CPTSD is to reduce emotional flashbacks. And the first step before the samurai draws his blade, he has to see the enemy and then his, his hand needs to know where his sword is or her sword is and go to the hilt without looking because the eyes need to stay on the enemy. And this is how well-practiced you need to be the very first step before the sword is drawn, because in the um, the Japanese art of uh, swordsmanship, Aijitsu or Aido, um, you don't draw the sword and step. That's not efficient. You draw and step. It's the same movement, and you you do it. You don't look at your sword and go, "Where's that sword? There it is." Now I'll have a fight. You're supposed to look, and you draw and step. You draw and step and cut. You draw and step and cut and kill, and then you put it away. Well, you draw, you step, you cut, you kill, you shake the blood off, give the blade a bit of a wipe, and then you slide it away, and then you move on. It's actually really difficult. If you've seen those katanas, you have to hold the end of the scabbard there, and you draw. You, when you put it away, and I've done this with live blades, and it's uh, it's um, it's a very focusing experience. <laughs> You, you don't look, you're not allowed to look. You draw the back, the blunt side of the blade, and you keep looking, you keep looking, you, you turn it, you turn the scabbard, and you turn like this, so the blade is upward, and then you put it in and you breathe a deep sigh of relief that you didn't cut through your hand webbing, which I saw. No, I didn't see, I, I have a false memory. I heard after in the Aikido dojo, in the Komiokan dojo in Birkenhead, somebody went through the, the webbing of the hand because he didn't, he wasn't present, and they, as uh, uh, sensei, uh, he used to use live blades. I don't know if he still does. Um, he 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 went through the, the blade of his hand. So sometimes you have to really focus and have a purity of intent that will allow you to efficiently cut through the enemy. Do you hear the points I'm making? I hope so. <laughs> Controlling CPTSD is difficult. Monitoring the emotional flashbacks, reducing the emotional flashbacks is difficult. Your first target is the inner critic because it's the inner critic who is the demon. You've got to be the demon slayer. You've got to slay the Arotsuki Doji. You've got to do the Oni Gadaki. What's the Oni Gadaki? The Oni Gadaki is a move from Nimpo Taijitsu that means the demon crusher. Anyway, that's enough martial arts references, I think. This just help you to, yeah, you got that? One, two, three. Uvavu. Uh, so how do you start? You've got to train yourself. It's a training process. It's going to take time. How do you leave it behind as an adult? To leave it behind as an adult, I don't know. When I get my, uh, I'm, I'm a black belt now. I'm probably a second Dan in this. Um, but there's 10 dans, and when you go from white to black in martial arts, that's all quite close to each other. You can go from white to black inside of six years, but between each dan level, 
they then kind of grow like exponentially. So from first to second might be six years, and then from second to third might be 12. And basically what they say is uh, that you need several lifetimes to, to master this stuff. No, that's, that's, that's actually something they used to say about Tai Chi. They'd say, how long does it take to master Tai Chi? And one guy said uh, 20 years, another guy said 50 years, and then the third guy goes, about three lifetimes if you're patient. <laughs> so how do you leave it behind as an adult? You may never, you may never. Like I, I, I haven't, like I can't tell you how to do that because I haven't left it behind. It's still there. I just have it very boxed away. I just have it very dealt with so that it doesn't really, but I can't be like in a little loincloth on a mountain going on, looking down, going, I cured all of my inner demons. I, I can't do that. I can just tell you it's massively reduced and my life is a lot nicer now. <laughs> so uh, study. Study, my friend. Begin your journey. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Yeah, move forward and cut. There is a, a good translation of an old Japanese poem. You can look this one up if you want. Hell gapes beneath the upraised sword. Step in and heaven is your reward. Hell gapes beneath the upraised sword. Step in and heaven is your reward. You gotta be brave. You gotta cut and step. And you need to be able to do it in one fluid motion. And that takes training. Next question. From somebody called Good and Healthy. And the profile picture looks like some renditions of Cleopatra and slightly like an ex-girlfriend of mine, which is really spooky. Uh, Okie dokie. This is an idea for a YouTube video Google Hangout session regarding tips for protecting yourself from those who are using NLP techniques in an unethical way. I figure simply knowing your vulnerabilities and being aware that they are indeed weak points that could be targeted for exploitation would be a good place to start. This way you could detect when someone is trying to punch you in the soft spots. And when they do this, you could make an effort to neutralize the attack. You're asking a question and answering at the same time, dude. I'm sure you have a lot better tips and I think that would be useful knowledge for all. Maybe a short video. And do you take donations or anything like that for all the time you put into this? If so, where would one make a donation? You know, right before Christmas, I was thinking, uh, I should say to people, oh, uh, you know, uh, like you can give me a donation. It's just not on the main website because I find it, it makes me feel a bit funny to take money from people just for talking. Like if you pay me for a course, I'm like, that's fine. You've got something definable that should, if you follow the instructions, get you a definite result. But a donation for talking on YouTube videos. So before Christmas, I actually meant to do one of, I don't know how it works, but I've seen other people do it. Like a wish list on Amazon. So I'd be like, I want a nice t-shirt with a skull on it. I want to buy this protein shake and then you give me money and it goes towards that. And I just never learned how to do it. I mean, if you really want to give me a donation, uh, I guess you would Google Spartan Life Coach, and then donation. There is a page there, it's just heading off the main website. Um, if anybody in the comments wants to tell me, I would feel, it would feel less weird. And also I could be like, oh, I did this uh, YouTube video and you guys helped me to buy this big thing of whey protein or like some training tool or something. Here it is. That feels to me a bit like, I don't know, just feels warmer than just, just give me money, just give me straight cash. Okay, uh, answering this question, um, how to protect from, from those who are using NLP techniques in an unethical way. If somebody is using 
NLP techniques in an unethical way, you are dealing with a pure piece of shit. I mean, you're dealing with somebody who's a really nasty fucking fuckface who needs to be punched hard. But don't do that because that would be illegal. Um, yeah, no, if somebody's gone out of their way to learn NLP to then use it unethically, there is no there is no karmic redemption for them. It would take them 60 lifetimes. Um, do they exist? Yes, they do. I, I, I know people like that. I was raised by one. Uh, I was introduced to NLP by somebody who is now languishing in prison for uh, abusing his children. Um, but he was big on NLP. He loved, he was big on all kinds of personal development and all kinds of psychology and sales tips and meditation and self-improvement. But it was really all about becoming a better predator. Um, does NLP lend itself to this? I actually don't think it does any more than like good old fashioned hypnosis does or other. Uh, there, I, I, if you were a predator, I would say you're probably going to do Maybe I shouldn't. No, okay, I won't. No. Look, NLP has become in people's heads the idea is it's the worst thing you could learn if you or it's the best thing you could learn, depending on which side of the argument you stand on, to abuse people. In my opinion, it isn't. There are other systems and, and, and schools of psychology that you should study that would give you way more ability to abuse people and manipulate them. NLP, as I said in another video recently, it's way more than people think it is in some respects, and it's way less than people think it is in other respects. And it, it's it's not even it's not even a proper system. It's like a system that's perpetually in a beta state. It's not finished. Um, the bits and pieces of it that do work really well, you'll find in other places, with a few exceptions. You know, I'll give credit where credit is due. Uh, do you know Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do? Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do and neurolinguistic programming both have three letters in the name and they could both be reduced to JKD and NLP. And I don't like Bruce Lee in the 70s was living in uh, San Francisco. Uh, Richard Bandler is from San Francisco. I know he's into martial arts. I'm not saying that Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do influenced him at all. It might have just been part of the, Zeke, the zeitgeist part of the way people were thinking in the 70s uh, like let's deconstruct this and reconstruct it this way but there is a lot of similarities NLP just like JKD is only ever going to be as good as the practitioner whether you're using it on yourself or you're using it on somebody else NLP requires and they don't really tell you this you've got to be very good you've got to be a very good charismatic communicator so I would say one, if somebody's actually gone out of their way to learn any psychological system in order to hurt people, that's a real piece of shit. You're probably talking about a zombie witch doctor, a full-blown malignant narcissist, a really nasty piece of work. Um, the second thing is don't, don't think of NLP techniques as dark. Think of them as pH neutral. NLP actually looks, well, it looks like where it came from. NLP is the result of a linguist and a mathematician coming together and saying, how do we model, copy, model, nothing wrong with copying, nothing wrong with modeling, what other people are doing well and use it ourselves. And that's it. And that's kind of what JKD was. It was like, what are other martial arts doing well? 
what are the principles we're going to adhere to, how are we going to filter what's good and what isn't, and as Bruce Lee said, take what is useful and discard the rest. So NLP is not really a thing, it's quite pH neutral. It's very similar to, it's very, in philosophy, it's very similar to something else that nobody really seems to know that much about called systems thinking. Um, so it, it ain't a thing. Uh, how do you protect yourself from somebody who's using any psychology system to wind you up? The same, the same, the same techniques will apply. You don't need a specific techniques for NLP. The other, the, the other like um, water muddying factor here is good NLP. Like, so let's form a sentence that goes this way: Good NLP techniques will seem completely natural and unconscious. And if you want to be a good NLP practitioner, your NLP techniques must be drilled into natural unconsciousness. Now let's come back through the sentence. Some of the stuff that people do quite naturally and unconsciously look like NLP techniques. Nothing new is, uh, under the sun has been invented with NLP. There's nothing new there. They refined it. They put it together in a way that nobody else did. Same with Bruce Lee. And you've got to give them credit and respect for that. But uh, somebody recently about a year ago. So I'm sat in a car and the person driving the car knows NLP through me. She's attended some of my seminars. We've known each other for a long time. And I'm sat in the front and somebody in the back of the car who has quite a controlling personality reaches forward and says, make sure you always do X. And as she does that, she presses her hand on my shoulder. And the person who's driving the car starts laughing a head off and going, oh, so you know a bit of NLP then? And this this other person going, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I was like, okay, I should explain to you. First of all, what you just did is very, very controlling, but also here's the technique from NLP. It's called anchoring, blah, 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 and all the rest of it. So did you get that? Was that, a, am, I, am I blathering because it's late? Like really good NLP techniques, a really good NLP pr practitioner will train everything until it is completely unconscious, and this is deliberate. It's within the syllabus. Uh, I can't remember how it works now. It's something like um, conscious incompetence, conscious competence, and then it goes right the way through to unconscious competence. So, you, like the way you would when you drive a car, you suck and you know you you suck. Uh, you you can then drive a little bit and you suck less, and you're not as conscious of your driving. Um, and you're sucking less, and then finally you get to the point where you're completely unconscious, you can have a phone call and eat a sandwich and smoke a cigarette at the same time, and drive a car full of kids. <laughs> In really busy traffic. Joking. Um, so that's, that's, uh, that's the process. So you're supposed to go with NLP, you're supposed to go with your NLP techniques, drill them into unconsciousness until they're completely natural, but also remember that when people do completely natural things, well, or not well, maybe for evil, and unconsciously, that will look like NLP techniques, which is what makes it also complicated. So if I, I'm just a very good speaker, or I'm a good stand-up comic, like stand-up comics use anchoring. Stand-up comics will tell you a joke earlier on that sort of predisposes you to finding it funny later. So if somebody just logs onto this now, and I go, one, two, three, uvavu, that's not gonna make them smile because that, they have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you were here before, then one, two, three, revival will make you go, uh, like a weak, polite laugh. 
like feeble attempts at comedy because you heard it before. That's anchoring. And comics, stand-up comics do that all the time. Are they doing NLP? Well, no, because they don't know NLP, but it's within the same syllabus. It kind of vectors over. Um, but fundamentally, to avoid people using NLP you, you do it for evil, you've got to minimize contact. If you speak to somebody, that's a real zombie witch doctor. That's a real malignant narcissist. If you speak to them and they speak to you and you let their words go in your ears, uh, unless you are a black belt, and even if you are a black belt, unless you're a black belt fourth down, it's going to affect you. You just, you can't afford it. You can't, any, I keep repeating this to people, any and all contact, even text messages, yes, even text messages, represent an opportunity, an opening in the armor to get inside, to abuse, to exploit, to dominate, control, and cause pain. That's what makes them feel powerful. So you've got to minimize contact with that person. And if you can't minimize contact with that person, God help you, because you're going to have to rush through your training to get your black belt as quickly as you can. And honestly, it's it's not easy. Uh, cluster bees break people. Like malignant cluster bees will, will break people. Grey rock, homies, grey rock all the way. Minimize contact and where you have to have contact, be grey rock. Don't give them anything. Anything you do say can and will be used against you later on, and anything you do say can and will be used as ammunition against you later on. Hi, Richard. Hello. I wonder if you can advise or help me understand my hoop, hopefully, I read that wrong, hopefully soon to be ex husband. Oh, I don't know if I can help you understand. Like you're writing a question on a forum. I'll try. I'm trying to go through a divorce, and he's doing everything he can to make sure myself and the kids are left with nothing. Even though my lawyer tells me I can go for a lot more, I'm trying to do a simple 50-50. He keeps sending me nasty messages on special days like Mother's Day, my birthday, etc. And he took my bed, which I bought to help my back, which has resulted in me not sleeping or eating for four weeks now. While sending me nasty messages, he immediately sends the kids mind game texts our daughter won't talk to him and my son is getting to that stage also he's also done many bad things if i were him i wouldn't want this to go to court but he wants to win so badly that he's only interested in winning my kids are constantly traumatized by him you've helped me so much i hope you can shine a light on this also there's no question here a question requires a question mark um yeah i obviously you're here so you know what he is and you know what he's doing. Um, can I shine a light on it? It, it? You know, if you guys, if you want to send me a question, then please do send me questions, but try and keep them short and make sure that they do have question marks in them. Uh, when I get like long emails from people that are just essays and then at the end that's just say any thoughts, I, I usually just delete them. Um, because they're just, well, I, nowadays actually, I don't, I don't read them to begin with. Somebody else filters them for me. Um, I, I, I don't do that. So can I shine a light on this? I, I can't tell you anything that you don't already know, um, which is that he is a bad person out to do bad things. Next question. This one also doesn't have a question mark. Interesting. Um, I'm interested in your view, as I know that you are a man that has suffered abuse at the hands of a woman of the TV advert being about being abusive. I haven't seen UK TV for 
eight or nine months, I would think, at the very least. So I haven't seen that. It's aimed only at males. I'm not surprised to hear that it exists. I'm personally shocked that abuse against males has not been addressed by the advert and those of other sexual orientations. This is clearly unfair to me and I wondered what you think. It's just another example of completely commonplace misandry. Um, if I had more time and resources, I would be more of an advocate to stop misandry. Uh, we live in a, in, I've, ne I've never been aware of culture just being more openly misandric than it is right now. You can do anything to men in the mass media, anything you want. Um, not all men, white men, white middle-aged men, because white middle-aged men like me are responsible for all the evil in the world, all the serial killings, all the rapes, all that, all the, like everything from the top down, blue collar to white collar crime. We run everything, we own everything, and we are the source of all evil in the world. And uh, you kind of understand how people have developed that point of view. But no, the, the misandry is, uh, is outrageous and it will traumatize a whole nation of young males who are taking this stuff in, as it did me um, when I was raised in the, in the 80s. And we had a, a spurt of this uh, where, you know, yeah, we were told not to look at, I was told not to look at women. I was told not to look, it's not okay for you to look at women. If you find a woman attractive, they told me this when I was way too young and it just wasn't even vaguely appropriate. Some over-enthusiastic uh, person came and gave us a talk on this. And I, and I just lived in a very man-shaming environment, man-hating environment. It was just all around me, it was everywhere. Um, it's a real shame because it's broken a lot of men and it's left the world in a real mess. Um, you also mentioned other sexual orientations. I'm not going to do it today, but one day I will reveal there will be an apocalypse, a great revelation, like comrades. The data on where the most domestic violence comes from based on sexual orientation, because I think it would shock a lot of people. And it's just something that just has to be addressed. Um, it is somewhat addressed within the gay community, within the gay and um, trans community. I know it is somewhat addressed, but if you're not in that reality tunnel, you're not in that mental space, you'll never see it. You'll, ne you'll never know about it. I only know about it because of, uh, well, when I, when I studied psychology, I studied feminism. Not going to go into that today. I was a choice in my final year. I did I did a whole thing on feminism and was really surprised. To find I actually fucking loved it. Now, 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 wait. What you all understand as feminism out there in the internet is not what most academic feminism is. Not by a long way. And I'll, I'll talk about. Maybe I should do a whole video on, on the on the downside of uh, misandry, uh, which is the opposite of misogyny. Um, it's just hating men for being men, just wildly hating men for being men, and what the usefulness of academic feminism is, because it's uh, it is it is a really really can be uh, a great subject. Um, 
but yeah, so I am aware of, you know, I studied it and part of that course and why I chose to study and why I chose to do it about was uh, featured domestic violence rates uh, in the gay community. I've also worked gay clubs doing security. And I can tell you it ain't like it is on Sex and the City. It's known on the inside for violence and uh, domestic violence. My first successful self-defense student was gay and he was being regularly beaten um, by his 10-year-old uh, boyfriend. Um, and I trained this guy up for about three or four weeks because the beatings would occur in like a five or six week cycle. Alcohol was always involved, so was jealousy. Um, young, good-looking guy, much older, uh, gay guy who was pretty out of shape. This young, good-looking guy is in shape, and all the girls loved him, and all the boys loved him. And you know, he did. The older guy was just really, really jealous. He was a mean, mean fucker, horrible fucker, really, really mean. And he'd lived most of his life as a straight and then he discovered he was gay and blah, 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 whatever okay so fine so he's mean and he beats the shit out of uh, his boyfriend um he's big like we're talking they're both big both both of big lads but the older one was even bigger and uh yeah the, the he, he came around to the guy's house to do his thing and my student beat him out the room down the stairs, out into the street, and chased him down the road. And uh, people saw my student going after this guy and just being fucking <laughs> running away. <laughs> going, ah, my face, he punched the hell out of him. Uh, which was, which, which I took as a score. So yeah, no, it's um, it's really bad right now. It's it's really, it's it's crazy right now. Political correctness is, is, is crazy. There are certain agendas that are being forced upon people that are just doing, untold damage and the people who are really pushing these agendas are trolls and a lot of them would be cross to be because it gives them a, the perfect opportunity to cause chaos so that the, all of the sensible even-handed true academics are almost silent and what you get are the most vocal obnoxious aggressive and violent i mean in this now i'm speaking uh, psychologically violent, not physically violent, um, out there pushing a hideous agenda. And I can't believe it's happening. I'm really, really sad. I, I heard about this advert, um, and I also heard about them going into around schools in London now, teaching boys that it is uh, wrong to rape women. Um, do they teach girls that it's wrong to dump your baby in a dumpster? No. Do they go around the schools teaching people that it's wrong to murder each other? No. Do they go around the schools teaching these kids that it's wrong to drink and drive? No. So why have they prioritized this one? Because it, it's a crime and it's committed by criminals. And those criminals who do it don't do it because they're confused about it being a crime. They know very well it's a fucking crime. So what is telling a, a room full of, I, I worked in uh, schools all around, uh, all around the UK, all around London with, with, uh, with teenagers. So I know who they'll be targeting. They'll be targeting the kids I used to work with, the 15 to 18 year olds. And it will do, it'll have zero effect other than to make guys 
normal guys, sane guys, who of course would never rape anybody, nor would they stab an old lady to death for her, to death for her purse, feel enormous guilt, like it's for them to take on, because they're too young, they don't have the boundaries yet to say, okay, this is some politically motivated bullshit. Um, and they'll take it on, as I did when I was a kid, and the damage it has done me in the 38 years of being on the planet has been enormous, just enormous. And, you know, it makes me shudder. Anyway, enough of that. Thank you for your uh, question, Barat57. Uh, okay, last question, and then I'm going to turn in. Oh. So I just saw another question, which is, can you explain the difference between CPTSD and BPD? I have done several times on this channel, but I'll do a video that's just called the difference between CPTSD and BPD, and how is CPTSD related to NPD? There'll be two videos that I'll do, maybe over this weekend if I get time. Uh, but I can't answer your question, I'm going to answer somebody else's question. But I have answered that elsewhere on the channel, but I'll give you a specific short video with no rambling. Hi Richard, the opportunity to ask you a question is superb. I'll put it in a nutshell as much as possible. I was with someone for five years and to be honest, it was pretty good. I never felt like I was under control and I'm quite a strong independent type. I'm quite hedonistic, maybe slightly narcissistic and we essentially fed each other. It ended when he found a new playmate at work. I kicked him out, felt his issues were not actually sex addiction and we went for therapy. Okay. Uh, NPD, more covert, but concerning between the two, was diagnosed by a psychologist specializing in PD. At this, I ended the therapy and he vowed to go away and change his behaviors. He got a diagnosis of NPD and then he vowed to go away and change his behaviors. I'm not laughing at you, mate. I'm laughing with you, I hope, in a really dark, humid way. Because <laughs> I haven't read the rest of this paragraph, but I can see where this is going. So he promises to go and change his behaviors. Uh, I know he hasn't been up to anything. I love it when people tell me what their narcissistically abusive partners have and haven't done and what they do and don't do. <laughs> okay, you know he hasn't been up to anything. Cool. I have my covert methods. Oh, you're stalking him. Okay, on social media probably. And other than working, I do know he has been self-soothing. Dude, this is, you're not sounding like terribly sane at this point. What does that mean? What a creepy sentence. You're spying on somebody who you're not with and you use a sentence like, you do know he's been self-soothing <laughs> like two or three times a day into a sock. <laughs> He's, he's respecting all my wishes. Well, you haven't told me what your wishes are. And he's not hassling me or anything spooky. I don't know what you, like, this is getting really confusing. He's respecting all my wishes. He's not hassling me or anything spooky. So he's leaving you alone. So presumably your wishes were, you have to leave me alone. And he's respected that. But at the same time, you're spying on him to make sure he's not up to anything because you have your covert methods. Openly, he, he openly talks about his narcissistic traits and previous bad behavior and has done so, albeit rather shamefully, even in front of others. Much to my surprise is from my readings, NPD do not do this. What readings were they? What, what, like, I love it when people tell me this. What readings told you that an NPD isn't smart enough to know 
for doing the mea culpa routine and giving himself a good thrashing with, I don't know, a nice branch and saying, I'm so sorry, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Of course they know how to do that. Like I used to say on this channel because I didn't know enough, oh, NPDs will never apologize. Of course they'll apologize. Of course they'll apologize. Of course he would do this. So I don't know where you're getting your readings from. But you know, you're asking me a question and you're presenting it in a very, very certain way. Actually, you didn't ask a question. Oh no, you did, you did, okay. And you're going, oh, I know that I know that he's not doing anything naughty, and I know that NPDs don't do this. This is the reason I'm confused, is it? As everything I read says they do not admit it or like to admit it. Well, I don't know what the fuck you've been reading, but you're wrong, and what you've been reading is wrong. So maybe you should go back, and when you're asking the question, just ask a question and say, here are the facts, what do you think? The latest research on narcissistic personality disorder, and I, I, I'm embarrassed to say that here and now in the moment, I can't remember which American university did it, uh, but I'll find out. They found a new test that is the perfect test for testing for narcissistic personality disorder. And what they do is they tell the person, here's a list of narcissistic traits, and then they self-rate for their traits, and then they say, do you think you're narcissistic? And the person says, yes. That's to date, according to all the peer-reviewed research that's published in journals, the best test for narcissism. And you're telling me everything that you've read says they don't admit it or like to admit it. Well, everything that I've read says they do admit it and they like to admit it. Sam Vatnin, openly uh, NPD, being diagnosed twice, he says. He considers it a badge of honor. He, he loves to admit that he's got narcissistic personality disorder because he has narcissistic personality disorder. It's what makes him special. It's, it's, he, he knows, as all narcissists know, it's a very, very small, as all people with NPD know, it's a very small percentage of the population that have full-blown NPD. So he absolutely is going to feel good about admitting it. And let's not forget, but whilst he sat there in front of other people talking about how narcissistic he is, it's still me, 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 everybody look at me, and let's talk about how I've been diagnosed by a professional with the personality disorder du jour that everybody's talking about. How faddish, how very in. Of course he's telling people that he's got narcissistic personality disorder. Are you mad, blood? My question is, is it possible for him to change? Oh. I'm looking at self-confessed NPD Sam Backnin. So you're using Sam Backnin as an example. Okay. So you've read enough to know Sam Backnin, and you know what Sam Backnin says and what he does. He's openly telling people he has NPD. Okay. I'm looking at self-confessed NPD. You're looking, but you're not looking with eyes open. You're looking. You're looking through the fetishistic split. And I'll explain that in a moment. And I see that Sam is married. So something must work, question mark. Must it indeed? This question, this alleged question that you presented is full of presuppositions and assumptions, and most of them are false. No wonder you're confused. How do you know that that marriage works? How, what do you know about Sam Batman? How do you know? <laughs> Come on, boys and girls. At the very least, let's try to, before, and this, this is good advice for everybody. Before you try and get into 
psychotherapy and psychiatry, which to all intents and purposes is an occult science, meaning occult in the purest, most pH neutral terms of the word just means hidden. So you're always looking at symbols and looking for meaning and you're an investigator and it's kind of sexy and it probably has certain elements of CSI Miami where you can sit back and go through the forensic evidence and do your testing and then come up with an amazing uh, clear conclusion. And that's what the brain likes and it wants to go there. So we look for complicated answers. You have to first and foremost exhaust all the common sense non-psychiatric explanations for what's going on thoroughly exhaust them and don't look for anything complicated just say well let's let's just use common sense let's be adults here what do i actually know to be true and this is good training this is good uh, like i really should do some videos on on classical training for philosophy and uh, uh critical thinking and Everybody should learn the basic tenets of philosophy, the basic tenets of how to present and defend an argument, the basic uh, uh, presuppositions and principles of critical thinking, and a little bit of the Socratic method. It would help people immeasurably because what you've done here is, is, is naughty, but it's not naughty in what you've done to me. It's naughty in that I can see this is what you do to yourself. So what you've tried to do is you've gone, knock, knock, question for you. I'm going to ask you a question as I'm asking you the question. I'm going to go really hard into trying to guide you towards the answer that I want to hear. And as I'm asking you the question, I'm going to preload with five reasons why you should give me the answer that I want to hear before we've answered the question. So this question, I know you don't, I know, you don't know this. And it's, it, you might be like, oh my God, what's happening? You're totally anonymous. Nobody's ever going to know. You're, I don't know you. You, you, you you're, you're, the essence of who you are, the value of who you are is held absolutely constant. But this is some fucked up shizzle, homie. You shouldn't do this. And what you're doing is you're now, you're not asking me a question. You're in a loop of question and answers that keeps you protected in a blind spot. And you want me in as a dildo which is why I'm slightly offended, because it's totally intellectually dishonest what you're doing. You want me as, an, as a dildo to use in your fantasy and your mental masturbation that keeps this thing going. And the answer you want to hear from me is, yeah, no, uh, totally, you can, you can have a relationship with an MPD. That's what you want to hear. Whereas if you, because you know very well, very well, had you simply asked me, can I have a healthy relationship with an MPD or not, that I would have said no. So you've just worked damn hard to not hear the word no. Well, guess what word you need to hear? No. This is not a game. This is your life. Now, if you choose to waste it by trying to slam a square peg repeatedly into a square into a round hole, that's your business. They're your wounds. It's your time. Every breath in and out that we take, we're one step close to the grave. You want to waste your time. You want to play games. You want to be, you, I don't know if you think this is cute. I don't know if, I don't, I suspect that your whole way of interacting with this issue inside yourself is a little bit emotionally immature and childish and giggly. 
And it's like you're playing hide and seek with yourself. And now you've invited me to play, but I don't play that game. I don't play it. There isn't time for this. You don't have the time. Trust me. You have way less time than you think. The answer to the question is, can I have a relationship with, MP with an MPD? Yes, you can. You'll be destroyed by it. Don't worry about what Sam Backman is doing with his wife. That's none of your business. It's none of my business. It's nobody's business. If you want to ask him, you can try and ask him. But I've heard what Sam can say to people when people email him. I have a pretty good relationship with Sam, but he has narcissistic personality disorder. Of that, I am now 100% sure. I like Sam. I personally like Sam. I think for whatever reason, it's my business why I like Sam, but you must not get involved with Sam. You mustn't. He's dangerous. He's a danger, and he can't. It's a compulsion. He can't help himself. He has full-blown MPD. You must respect that. Whatever is going on between him and his wife is uh, whatever you think is going on there is whatever he wants you to think is going on there. That's that's not because he has NPD. That's just the nature of reality. You know, Sam Backman is married. Sam has said in interviews that he, even though he has full-blown NPD, he, by anybody's standards, and these are backwater interviews that everybody hears, you have to go and listen to all of his old interviews. What I did was I just downloaded them all. And when I go to the gym, if I'm doing like a long, boring cardio session, I listen to the Sam Backman interviews. He has said that he uh, is highly self-aware and has tried very, very, very hard to fix the issue. But he said he can't fix the core issue. He can fix the patterns of behavior. Maybe for the sake of argument, to be philosophical and to adhere to the objective truth, maybe him and his wife have something that functions. Quite honestly, it's nothing to do with me and nothing to do with you. Don't look at what's going on with Sam Backman, who you only know his name because he's out there telling you he's an MPD. He wants you to know he's MPD. Hey, and, and great. I'm so grateful for him. I've learned so much. But context. He wants you to think that. He needs you to believe that. And so you using him as an example is, is not... Is you're abandoning reason and you are now bending over backwards to make an argument work inside your own mind that cannot function. It has no legs. Uh, so you say, I'm looking at self-confessed NPD Sam and see that he's married. So something must work, question mark. But you're not really asking me, are you? You're telling me something must work before you say no. Well, I'm saying no. I'm saying no. This guy's been diagnosed with a personality disorder. Can you have a relationship with him? No. Now let me, let's stick with Sam Backman. And I don't think I'm crossing any boundaries by telling this story because everybody's completely anonymous. I had a client and she was determined to do what you're determined to do. And people had told her, your husband is mentally ill. You've caught him cheating. He's paid to have people beaten up. He's a bit of a, he's a bit of a boy. He's a bit of a gangster boy. And he's been diagnosed with a personality disorder. She comes to me and she says, I need to control the relationship and I need to control how I feel. And I'm like, okay, I sort of go into my fawn codependent response. This is a couple of years ago. I'd never do this now. And I said, okay, well, I, you know, you shouldn't do this, but I'll try and help you. And we work through some NLP strategies to try and manage a state when he's abusing it and all the rest of it. She went to, according to her, so this is an apocryphal tale. She then spoke to Sam Batman and then she came back to me and she said, I spoke to Sam. And he gave me a very different perspective than you. I said, yeah, oh, he told you that you couldn't do the relationship, didn't he? And she said, yes. 
And she said, I said to him, I don't care what you say, Sam. I'm going to stick with this guy because that's what I've decided to do. And Sam, this is a good apocryphal story, but I don't know if it's true or not. I think it is probably true. I can imagine Sam doing this. Sam said to her, so you're not going to take my advice. She said, no, I'm going to stay with him. And he said, good luck. And then closed the Skype call. I can see Sam doing that. So I want to finish the rest of your question uh, out of just basic politeness. But I can see where this is going. And, you know, the, we've been apart three months so far. And now is the time that I either continue on as I am, giving him time and space to either fuck up or adopt new behaviors. I've set six months, have you? Or I just turn around and say, I'm moving on. Well, you've made it clear which answer you want me to give you. So I'm not going to try and sugarcoat it or, or kid glove you because I don't think that will work. I will just, I'll, use, I'll call this the Sam Backman method. If you choose to carry on with this guy, you have no right whatsoever to ever complain ever again about anything he does to you. You're separated right now. Run for the fucking hills. Run for the fucking hills and don't look back. You want to get back with him? You think you can fix him? Good luck. Seriously, don't waste your life. You don't have that kind of time and he will suck the soul out of your asshole and then he'll take your soul and he'll spin it around his head and then he'll slap it up against the wall and laugh whilst you lie in a fetid mess in the corner. I hope that that was enough of a wake-up call for you. Don't fuck around with NPDs. Don't fuck around with NPDs. My relationship with Sam is like Clarice Starling with, uh, with Hannibal Lecter. I do not approach the glass. I do not touch the glass. I do not hand Dr. Lecter anything, and I don't let Dr. Lecter hand me anything. It's a very, very bounded relationship, and it's a very respectful one, and I enjoy it. I love talking to Sam. Uh, that's my personal choice. I don't, I, I, you know, but you wouldn't just use your common sense. Use your common sense. Don't abandon common sense. I think what's happened here, you, your name is uh, onwards and upwards. It's, it's, it's an intro. It wasn't a good quality question, but I'm glad that you asked it because a lot of people try and ask me questions like this. You also said that you're hedonistic and that you're slightly narcissistic. Um, you're not really. Uh, narcissistic. What's going on can all be understood in simple terms of codependency and CPTSD. You're a codependent who's trying to keep a fantasy alive that something else is going on. And if you would just have the bravery and the strength to grieve for what you've lost in this relationship, that it will never be what you want it to be, that this person you know, you said he's been diagnosed. You went for therapy and he was diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder and then he bragged about it to your friends. Dude, let it go. Move on with your life. You, you still have a chance. Stay with him, he'll break you. And then he will move on. So that's my answer to that question. Somebody on the Google Hangout page asked me a question before, so I'm just going to have a little look at that. Du -du 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 -du. Help, help. Oh, a couple of people have. You cheeky people, I need to go to bed. Oh, there's five questions here. <laughs> uh, oh my God, how do I reverse the effects? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, 
I'm gonna all of you are gonna have Scouse accents now. And you'll be like, what's a what's Scouse? What is that? What is a Scouser? And you're all gonna have Scouse accents. And you can go and look up what a Scouser is. And you can learn something. You can have the cultural learnings of Europe. Go and look up Liverpool, Google Liverpool crime and then news. <laughs> you'll learn something about where I'm from. Oh my god. How do I diverse the effects of NLP? That is exactly what has been done to me for the last 17 years. This is why I'm crazy. Um, I, I don't know that that's why you're having problems or not. You know, if it's been done to you, gaslighting has been going on for 17 years, then um, you've probably got CPTSD, which is probably a more useful uh, way to describe what you have or emotional dysregulation than saying that you're crazy. I mean, I refer to myself as crazy. If you like it, you can do it too. Uh, but you're probably, in truth, you've got CPTSD and emotional dysregulation. You reverse the effects of NLP by studying CPTSD and learning to control your emotional flashbacks, which is the sine qua non of overcoming CPTSD. Uh, there's a new book out, it's on Amazon Kindle. It's cheap and it's simple and it's just full of usable techniques and it's got a couple of audios in there as well. And it's called How to Stop an Emotional Flashback. And it was written by myself and Leila Lorich. Go and get that. It'll help you. Or you could study NLP as well, if you have the time. Uh, Mr. Tati. Mr. Tati. Okay. My parents met in AA. Ooh. I never drank, but I felt abandoned by their recovery growing up and felt trapped in their cult. I can't tell who was the narcissist between the two. They projected their bad childhood memories upon me my whole life. Um, I vowed on this channel never to talk about my opinion about Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, you felt like they were trapped in a cult and they started to behave in a cult-like way. Uh, perhaps you became the scapegoat. Perhaps the new addiction was to scapegoat you um, and to make you feel bad. You don't always need to know exactly. You said, I can't tell who's the narcissist between the two. You don't always need to know who the specific NPD is. You can just define that a narcissistic system, of uh, sorry, a system of communication is narcissistic or that a relationship is narcissistic, and that's enough. That'll give you all the data you need. Uh, S9 Arena, what is NLP? Well, you could just Google it. I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying, you're on the internet, which is a medium of finding information asking me to do the internet job for you, which is pretty lazy. NLP stands for nice, lengthy penis. <laughs> so the whole time that I was talking about NLP, I was talking about guys with nice, lengthy penises um, and the damage they can do in relationships. Uh, Jano Poo says, when an outsider intervenes and interrupts your life, there is a sense of intrusion. What are you telling me? <laughs> you telling me what I'm feeling? As an adolescent, I chose to abandon my life because I felt it got corrupted by another and I couldn't undo it. Why did you say you, meaning me or whoever is reading it, when you mean you? When you mean you, you say I. When an outsider intervenes and interrupts my life, there is a sense of intrusion. As an adolescent, I chose to abandon my life 
because I, I felt it got corrupted by another and I couldn't undo it. How does one rid themselves from feeling tempered with? I think you mean tampered with. Um, yeah, man, I, I, I feel you. You know, I was the, uh, the, I was targeted for sexual abuse and, and stalking when I was very young. I was only uh, uh, 13. Um, and yeah, it will, it will linger. You need to get it therapy. You gotta, you gotta get some therapy, homie, for that shizzle. Uh, yeah, if it's been intruded upon and your boundaries been encroached upon, it, you know, I'm give you like a little answer for that. You gotta, you gotta seek therapy, and it, it takes a long time. It could be your entire life's work to overcome that. It's um, painful, but well worth doing. And definitely don't get Stephen Fry's opinion on the sexual abuse of, of adolescents because he'll just tell you to jolly well get over it. If you've seen that recent Stephen Fry interview that's caused so much distress online. That what these people like, I'll give you a little inside tip if you want to join that argument. What they don't know is on another interview where he's being interviewed by a psychotherapist, he said that um, a bit of buggery never did him any harm and he doesn't think it does anybody any harm. Meaning Stephen Fry thinks, and this goes back years ago, I like Stephen Fry, but he shouldn't be saying shit like this, that forcibly raping somebody in their anus when an older boy rapes a younger boy in their anus, nobody gets hurt. Stephen Fry, man, call me, dude. You need to get that CPTSD sorted out ASAP. You shouldn't be out there with these sick ideas floating around inside your head. I just had a very severe flashback and now understand that I've always avoided intimacy with women because of a feeling of being unlovable and hideous and that if they touched me, they would be disgusted and go away. What can I do to love myself? It's such an obvious joke. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I, well, yeah. As a result of different types of childhood abuse, I ended up with the same thing. I ended up feeling very unlovable and hideous. And I always felt, like you say, if they touched me, they would be disgusted and they would go away. I actually, I felt like if I touched a girl, if I touched a woman when I was very young, that I would poison her with whatever it was that had poisoned me and made me ugly. To the extent that even now to this day, if I'm lying in bed with somebody, I don't. I try not to touch them because I think it's going to have like a, a negative um, effect on them. Uh, what can I do to love myself? Um, you've got to reduce the emotional flashbacks. That's an emotional flashback. So you've got to reduce it. You've got to tackle it. You've got to look at that demon and find out how to slay it. Because there's a voice inside of your head telling you that you're unlovable. There is going to be a repeat of something that was either told to you overtly as a child or implied to you by you being ignored or, or, or whatever. Um, all the best to you, Emmanuel. I'm glad a guy is asking me a question. Guys, stop just sitting there in silence and not asking for help and being all tough. That's my job. I'll sit here and not ask for help and be all tough. You ask for help because I'm a hypocrite. Palmer says, but thank you, Emmanuel, for your question. And I hope all men join in. Come on, guys, share. Palmer says, haha, thank you. I'm so sorry. I will totally join. You won't just join. You're totally going to join. I'm totally going to join. That's, you join my newsletter, you people. Okay. I'm going to finish this soon. Babbling now. I believe I observed what I think are two narcissists or a BPD and a narc love bombing each other. Do you think this is possible? And how would a narcissist to narcissist or BPD to narc relationship function? BPD and narcissism is the same. People who are like, oh, I've been diagnosed as borderline. You can't say I'm a narcissist because I'm not. You're not borderline. It was a misdiagnosis. The In the UK, 
the National Health Service is handing out borderline diagnoses like fucking Smarties, um, it's you have CPTSD. Okay, so cool. That's that. Boom. The question you're asking me, Francis, is uh, can two narcissists get together and love bomb each other and gaslight each other? Oh, yes, they can. Oh, I've seen it happen. We should, I've really talked about this in a video. If I don't soon, please remind me. Uh, they're, they're drawn to each other. Narcissists love each other for a time, and then they fucking hate each other, uh, which is fun. You can sit back and watch the fireworks. I actually put two narcissists together once, two, two overt male narcissists together. It was like putting two scorpions in a box and then seeing what would happen. Very naughty, but very enjoyable. And they both said the same thing. They both like, had a big falling out, and within half an hour of each other, they both sent me a text that was completely interchangeable about the other one that could have been about the other. They said, that guy is such a dick. He's so full of himself. I can't stand him. And the other guy sent me the very, and I was like, <laughs> fucking mom. Uh, I know this talk is about the narcissist mother. It's not really. It was the beginning. As the mother of two adult sons, survivors of a narcissist father, I'm wondering what do you think are the major impacts on masculine identity from the experience of being devalued by a narcissistic father? Uh, one of the, um, I mean, certainly in my experience, and I'm sure my experience is common, when you're devalued by a narcissistic father, well, he, if you're devalued, I mean, I was devalued. I wasn't abused because there wasn't a reason for him to, to do that. Um, so what the effect is that you, you, you kind of grow up with a distant father. So you have to make up a father figure. You create like, you know, your own idea of what being a father is and you end up craving a father figure for your whole life. Uh, to teach you how to be a man and to teach you how to operate in the world. So I basically had to teach myself and I taught myself in a really weird way. Um, so as a mother, you would want to make sure that they're getting an idea on how to be a man from somewhere and that you have some input in that based on whatever your beliefs and your values are about how a man should be. Uh, and you should be clear with them about what you expect from them as as men. And they do kind of need a man to show them how to be men and to deal with what being a man is. Um, sorry to give that such a short answer, but it's, it, is, it is a very good question. What's this? Oh, I see. Any ideas of how to be aware of the intention of the communication of the people I fear? I found knowing the intention of the communication of people helps me to feel plus safe. Um, how to be aware of the intention of the communication of the people I fear? Well, how like how can you figure out the intention of of anything really? I mean, how can I be aware of the intention of the people I fear by gathering data? Like, that's the essence of of being aware of somebody's intention, isn't it? Is to is to gather the data. So make sure that your process is clear, that you're gathering real data, not imagined data, and then you process the data in your inside of your own mind. And you need to make sure that that, that processing of the data is as clean as possible. Uh, you should look at cognitive bias and you should look at the concept of logical fallacy. And you should see if you're distorting, deleting or generalizing any of the data so that it means something else. Um, when you're communicating with people you fear, it's probably going to induce some kind of a, an adrenaline response in you, which is going to cause you to fall back into cognitive bias, logical fallacy, distortion, deletion, and generalization. So it's a tough um, task, but I'm sure you can do it. Was my mother a narcissist? 
I don't know your mother, so I don't know. <laughs> what questions do I need to ask myself? Well, maybe you should go onto Google and Google for things like, how can I tell if somebody's a narcissist? Or the nine traits of narcissism, and then see how many she ticks for that. Okay. Do you think there are certain types of people who are more likely to fall for the charm of a narcissist at the start to be taken under that spell? I think there can be a wide variety of people from different backgrounds, experiences that can fall for this. Yeah, there are certain types who do. You know, it, it, I think that there's a certain type of person who feels they lack what the narcissist has. Um, so if you're talking about a charming narcissist, not every, not every narcissist is charming. Some of them are vulnerable. Um, so you've got to look at what that means to that person and how it lights them up at the, at the limbic system level um, to make them want to be with that person. Uh, so yeah, the charm of a the charm of a charming narcissist. Why would they want that? You know, some people need to like take a good long hard look at themselves and admit that they felt good basking in the um, reflected glory of what the narcissist had that they wanted but they didn't have. Um, that can happen. So you know, that's something to watch out for. The final question: Have you read The Truth by Neil Strauss? No. Palmer, I haven't. Do you want to know what I fucking read? I read The Game by Neil Strauss. Do you want to know who gave me that book? It's so fucking weird. My ex, who was a textbook narcissist with really uh, strong BPD tendencies and histrionic tendencies, gave me the book The Game to read. For those of you who don't know, The Game by Neil Strauss is a book uh, that, that, that's all about pickup artists. It's all about how men teach other men to seduce women by bleh, means fair or foul. My ex gave me that book. She was like, I thought you'd like this. It's about psychology. I'm like, kind of. Uh, yeah. Then you go on to ask, while it does not mention CPTSD by name, it talks a lot about attachment disorders and how childhood trauma can lead to love avoidance, love addiction. Yeah, no, it's it's the same. He did like if he's I, I, I do have a lot of time for Neil Strauss. I think that the game was a very well written book and I've read different interviews with him and uh, he's a smart guy. He knows he knows what he's talking about. So the only reason he wouldn't have mentioned CPTSD is he's probably not aware of it. But if he's talking about attachment disorders, childhood trauma, love avoidance, love addiction, He's talking CPTSD. Uh, is the book good? I haven't had time to read a book for months, but maybe maybe I'll give it a go on the old Kindle so I can sit there on my phone and just read it. Well, ladies and gents, thank you very much for your questions. I hope you enjoyed this um, unannounced Google Hangout and that you found it useful. And um, yeah, thanks for your time and your attention. And I'm sure I'll be doing some more videos very soon. Thank you. Oh, one more thing. I've got a new uh, Facebook page. If you want to add it, I'll put the link. Yeah, please add me on my new Facebook page. I'll put the link in the uh, description bar now. Yeah, so that's that. Cheers then. Speak to you soon.